Old Testament reading comes from Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. Our Gospel reading comes from John chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Our reading from the Psalms comes from Psalm 51, verses 10 to 12. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence, or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. The signs of your creative love are all around us. Our very existence points to that fact. And you've made us in your image. Teach us, Lord, what that means today. Amen. So this, there was this bus driver, and he would get to the place where um, he would complete a route. He parked by a parking lot, and there was this lot next to the parking lot that had become a virtual litter dump, and it so bothered him. And so he decided to do something about it, and so every time he had that seven-minute period of time between routes, he would start picking up trash and putting it into bags. And then when he had cleared the lot, he decided to take some flower seeds and start planting flowers. And after a while, that lot turned into a beautiful meadow, so beautiful that some of the people would stay on the bus long enough to be able to, to take a look at what the bus driver had done. Well, over the last while, we've been talking about training for reigning, keying into that biblical idea that's found in the first chapter of the Bible and the very last chapter of the Bible, that we were made to reign. Um, we have, uh, we've talked about how it's, it's not what you think. It's not a matter of bullying people, ordering people around. It's something different than that. And it's something we're all already doing. We're all impacting those places we live, work, play, and learn with our words, our actions, and even our attitudes. We've talked about three roles that we play when we reign, three biblical roles, prophet, priest, and king. As prophets, we're listening, learning, 
from one another and especially from God. We're priests in the sense of what we do, we do for God's glory and with him in mind. And we're kings in the sense that we are looking at the possibilities of this world as well as the problems of this world and always making plans with a sense of purpose to make a difference, to make this world a better place, even though it may be just our little place wherever we live, work, play, and learn. Now, today uh, we're going to talk about creating, and it's in the context of four movements um, that are a part of reigning. Conquering, creating, caring for, and consulting. We talked about conquering last week. And what we discovered is that most of what we have to conquer is within ourselves. And uh, yeah, there are steps we need to conquer to, to, in order to fulfill those plans and execute those plans that we make, but most of what we have to conquer is ourselves. And when it comes to the evil of this world, the most powerful weapon, tool, catalyst, is love. It was on that cross that Jesus scored the decisive victory over evil, sin, death, the devil, hatred, and prejudice. But now we come to creativity. And like I mentioned at the beginning of the service, uh, it's the very first thing we learn about God, that he's a creator. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that, um, that bus driver created a beautiful space out of a problem lot. He turned chaos into cosmos. I'm going to put a little work of art. Um, I think it's a very significant work of art on the uh, screen here. This is uh, one of our own members, uh, a five-year-old, a five-year-old Wesley, who, uh, who created this work of art. And uh, it's very clear what it is. Um, at least I thought it was to me. Um, Casey, when she posted this on Facebook, invited people to say, okay, what do you think is, is going on here? And there were a lot of interesting um, answers. I thought mine was the best answer. You know, what I saw were kids playing in a water hole next to a dinosaur, you know? And it reminded me of Isaiah 11, you know, where the, the, the child is playing next to the cobra uh, hole. But I was wrong. Of course, Wesley probably hasn't ever heard of Isaiah 11, okay? But I've learned since then that it is actually three kids jumping on a bed, trying to leap up to, to, to grab the bananas off of the banana tree. And that's appropriate in light of his grandmother's children's message today. Um, so, yeah, art. And the thing is, there's the creativity that the artist puts into that creative art. But then there's the, the, the creativity and imagination we need to interpret that art right? And that's any work of art, whether it's something I would, you know, be very poorly draw or something as masterful as what Wesley drew. And that applies to even scripture. These are masterful works of art. And at the same time, you know, we can, we can read biblical scholars, and I love biblical scholarship, but sometimes they'll disagree. And we come to that text and our imaginations begin to kick in. And that's all a part of how the Holy Spirit uses that art, that work, that scripture in our lives. So creativity is even required for being able to engage with scripture. So what is creativity? 
I looked it up, um, I Googled it, Googled it, and I really couldn't find a good definition of creativity, but I did find several creative descriptions of creativity. For example, um, punk rocker Henry Rollins, I know you all know him, um, um, he says creativity is starting with nothing and ending up with something. Interpreting something you saw or experienced and processing it so it comes out different than how it went in. Author Daniel Pink, it's giving the world something it didn't know it was missing. Sonia Simone, it's just making something. It might be something crummy or awkward or not ready for prime time. If you make something, you are creative. I like this from Lisa Barone. Creativity is copying smarter. Some people have described the Apple Corporation as a company that takes an idea and makes it better. I like this too from Seth Godin. Creativity is, this might not work. Author C.J. Lyons, living in possibility and abundance rather than limitation and scarcity. And finally from Elizabeth Gilbert, the strange partnership between a human being's labor and the mystery of inspiration. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's poetry. Describing Jesus as the Word. And that very eloquent way of describing the Trinity. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so this Jesus who healed the lame, the blind, the leper, the deaf, the paralyzed, who raised the dead, who calmed the wind and the waves, who fed thousands of people with a boy's lunch, was the one through whom all things were made. This weaver of parables and proverbs and beatitudes and creative responses to people's questions, he has his finger on everything that has been made and will be made. And we are made in his image. You know, the Gospel of John, which this is taken from, is an interesting gospel. I mean, it's, it's so different from the other three gospels. In fact, the other three gospels have a special name. They're called the synoptics. It's a word that has to do with general or uh, comprehensive. But, you know, it, w you read those other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and you get the sense of, yeah, this is the same Jesus. They all come at it a little differently, but this is the same Jesus. You get to John, and it doesn't, doesn't even sound like Jesus. I mean, the, the vocabulary, the manner of speaking is just so different. And so this is an example of Jesus-inspired um, literature. This is, you know, John was probably written near the end of the first century. And here's Jesus speaking through John. Uh, some of it is sort of reworking that material from when Jesus walked on this earth. And so when Jesus walked on this earth at that last supper, Jesus said, you know, this is my body. Saying that about the bread. This is my body which is broken for you. 
And then in John's gospel, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the true vine. And, and those are actually bookends on, on, around these seven I am statements. And, and that I am is sort of a hyperlink back to the Old Testament when, when Moses asked God, so who are you? And God says, I am. I am. And so Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. And so the Jesus who says, follow me, and you have a sense, this, this is really definitive. And John's gospel says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's still alive. He's the resurrected Christ still speaking, even as he speaks today. And yet with John's gospel, you're sort of forced to engage with your imagination. What did Jesus mean by that? Couldn't you say a little bit more? <laughs> and you're, you're kind of expected to play with it, to work with it. So there's this creative gospel that takes the life of Jesus, reworks that material, and really compels us to come with our own imaginations and our own creativity to the text. And then we go to the beginning. You know, when, when John says, in the beginning was the word, he's really giving us a hyperlink to the very first verse in the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, I just talked about these seven I am statements. Seven is a really important number in the Jewish faith. I mean, it's, it marks the seven days of the week. And by the way, not every culture has had seven days in their week. The Egyptians, where the people of Israel were enslaved for hundreds of years, they had a 10-day week. The Romans had an eight-day week. But the Jewish people had a seven-day week. And that described not only the natural rhythm of every day or every week, but also the, the spiritual rhythm of their religious life with their seven religious festivals. And so it's interesting if you read Hebrew, which I don't, um, you would note that the very first verse has seven words. The second verse has 14 words, seven times two. The last verse in this section has three lines, each of which contain seven words. There are seven paragraphs. The three nouns in the first verse, God, heaven, earth, all occur in multiples of seven in this first chapter. God occurs 35 times, seven times five, exactly. Firmament, or heavens, and earth each occur 21 times, seven times three. The other significant number is 10. God speaks 10 times in this passage. Remember the Ten Commandments? Those 10 words, we call the 10 words. That's what the Bible calls them. So here's God creating in 10 words. And the commandments are God governing his creation in 10 words. So it's like the author is talking about God's creation and creative process in a creative way, building this sort of temple within this cathedral of God's creation. And so you see creativity at work, not only in the world that God creates, but even in how the biblical author is describing it. And all of that would have given the sense for people who were Jews of entering into a temple 
All of these sevens reminding them of the presence and glory and grandeur of God in the midst of this great cathedral called creation. So Jesus was, is, God was, is a poet. All this came about through his word. And what about us? Well, I certainly want to highlight the fact that there are so many different ways to create. Um, Sharon actually wrote our prayer of confession for today. And she, she alludes to those, just a sampling of, of the, some of the ways in which that happens. You graced some of us with the ability to create in wood and others in words, some with a camera, others in music and song, some with lesson plans and others with hair and scissors, some with empathy and encouragement, others with seeds and saplings, some with herbs and spices, others with yarn and fabric. And while there are some people that are specially gifted in using words, words are actually the common building blocks for all of us in creating. We create sentences. We put our thoughts to words. It's how we engage in conversation. And so we, we send emails, texts, talk on the phone, or, or just talk with each other personally. And those words and how we form them, the words we use and don't use, the ideas we choose to convey and the ideas that we choose not to express, all of those build, build a world, build a space, and build a relationship. And so, yes, we have this book that has a lot of words, and Jesus is described as the Word. And it's also why James, in his letter, and James was probably the Lord bro Lord's brother who wrote the, the book of James, talks about how important it is to guard our mouths because of how powerful our words are even though he says it's the most difficult thing to guard and to tame. He even uses metaphors like a forest fire or wild animals. It's just very difficult to tame. But even then, we're to be, you know, we're to work with God, um, to design strategies, and he even gives us a little aphorism, something that we can take with us. It's very portable and, and very helpful. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Very succinct. Words can cut and words can cure. Words can um, disrupt and words can also build up and construct. And sometimes they do both and need to do both. You know, words, um, well, creativity usually involves some kind of disruption. I mean, think of working with wood. To have that wood to build a piece of furniture, as Alan does, for example, um, a tree has to be cut down. The life of that tree has to be disrupted. And that, that word, uh, a wood then has to be worked with in all sorts of ways to get it to the place where it can begin to be used to, to create a piece of furniture or to build a home. 
And in some sense, you could say that doing those things actually fulfills the life of that tree as God has given us this charge to create, to develop, as well as to solve problems. And sometimes words create that disruptive role in our lives. I know there were some words that were said to me and about me this week that were really hard and were a part of of that disruptive, constructive work that God needs to do in my life. I was writing in my journal this week that um, the gospel is fundamentally disruptive always moving us from old creation to new creation. And um, yeah, we see this in Jesus. I mean, it's not only what he said, but how he said it. Um, his parables, his teachings, challenged people's assumptions about, about the Messiah, about the kingdom of God, about God himself. And sometimes, you know, he, you know Peter came at him one time and, and Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Um, one time he called the, the, the Jewish leaders whitewashed tombs. And there was a time when he said, how long do I have to put up with you guys? And all of that was intended to keep them moving so that they wouldn't settle for anything less than what he had to offer them. About 15 minutes after I had written in my journal that the gospel is fundamentally disruptive, I came across a quote um, in an article that I read and uh, it's, uh, it's a quote by Sam Wells, who's a vicar in London. And he says, uh, he talks about the profoundly disruptive nature of the gospel that is not here to make our lives better or easier, but is here to turn our lives upside down. Of course, ultimately with the purpose of making our lives better and more fully alive. And so, yeah, words can disrupt as well as construct. And the things that we do to create in this world, I mean, we ourselves can find ourselves having to deconstruct something to build something else. But speaking of, of that disruptive nature of, of uh, the gospel, there is just the adversity of our lives and how it can become a crucible a place where creativity happens. In fact, the deepest transformation that needs to happen in our lives often can't happen without adversity. And there are artists that do amazing things in the midst of struggling with depression, for example, or finding themselves in very difficult circumstances, whether it's oppression or persecution, being able to be creative in the midst of those situations. And so the Apostle Paul, for example, he could slip into that sort of grumbling and complaining that was the MO of his spiritual ancestors, the Israelites. But instead he chooses to creatively respond with being aware of the things he can be grateful for. Rejoicing in the Lord for what he has done, is doing, and will do. Using his time in prison to share the gospel with prisoners as well as to write these really fascinating works of literature that we call the, the letters of the Apostle Paul. And then there's Jesus himself saying, you know, if, if you're in a difficult situation, be creative. And so if a Roman soldier makes you go one mile, 
rather than giving in to that desire to somehow get revenge, offer to take it a second mile. That's being creative. And Paul would say to those who were slaves, and Peter says the same thing, you're in a difficult situation. No doubt about it. This isn't God's ultimate plan for your life. But be creative. Imagine yourselves serving Jesus Christ in training for reigning. And so, and Paul himself, imagine himself in his suffering sharing the sufferings of Jesus. And so using our creativity to sort of reinterpret our circumstances and even being creative in the midst of our circumstances as Paul did in writing these letters. As Alan does when he creates furniture in the midst of his affliction. Just one, just one last thing this morning. I find it really interesting as we think about the season of Lent that David uses the same word, create, in relationship to what he wants and is praying for God to do in his own life. Um, create in me a pure heart, O Lord. He's just gone through a rough time. David's a passionate guy. And that passion got misdirected. And so he committed adultery. And then he tried to cover it up by having Bathsheba's husband killed in battle. A prophet, Nathan, um, didn't confront him directly. He told a parable. And at the end of the parable, David realized that the parable was about him and about what he had done. And so David writes a poem, a poem prayer. And that's what Isaiah, or, or um, Psalm 51 is. It's his praying out of his anguish. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Create in me a pure heart, O Lord. And renew that steadfast, resolute spirit. He doesn't want to lose his passion, but he knows it's needing to be purified. I'm struck by that uh, first day of creation at the beginning. And what happens? And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. Psychologists talk about how we will have these good qualities, but then there will be a shadow side. It's really difficult to separate a shadow from a person. Right? And so David was a passionate, a passionate person. And people followed his leadership because of his passion. Certainly his, uh, his army loved him. And the people came to love him. And he created a nation. He created a capital, Jerusalem. 
that as he's getting older, it's time for God to work with that heart to separate the shadow from the good, the dark from the good. And this, this fall in his life, as well as God's working with that, is to help him not no longer be a, a passionate person, but for how that can be misdirected. And we get a little hints of this even earlier and how he would treat certain people. Um, and so a part of Lent it's not just giving up something that we're in control of that can be helpful, but it's being aware of those things in ourselves that we don't seem to be in control of and asking God to create in us a new heart, to separate the dark from the light so that we can become more whole. And so a part of creativity is doing our bit in the outer world, exploring new possibilities as well as solving problems. And that can be very simple stuff. A lot of the stuff that we do, no one's going to, our name isn't going to be in, in the spotlight. It's not going to be something that's written about in a book. But those ways in which we bring order, maybe we don't build a house, but we build a home. Maybe you know, we don't write a novel, but we carefully craft a, a, a message in a birthday card or an email. All sorts of ways in which we can build shalom, build the kingdom of God through our words and through our actions. And at the same time, being co-creators with what God wants to do inside of us. David, he wrote a poem a prayer that was a part of his wrestling with what God was doing inside. The same Sam Wells who talked about the, this profoundly disruptive nature of the gospel writes, the work of the church is invigorating because it's energized by the Spirit's relentless desire to teach us how to play with God in the world. Play can be hard. Think of sports and we experience defeat, failure. It's all a part of it. But because of God's grace, we can play even when things are difficult and dark. God loves you. He loves all of us. And it's his grace that makes it possible for us to not be uptight, but to playfully enter into the possibilities that this world presents to us and sometimes possibilities that we create to contribute to the common good, to love one another, and to be changed ourselves in the process. Well, let's pray together.